A lot of fantasy gamers are going to be incredibly disappointed with Paul Perkins in 2017. Get ready for it. It's going to happen. The Paul Perkins Disappointment Tour is set to launch in early September 2017. Because I keep hearing positive sentiments about Paul Perkins on social media. Big voices like Matthew Barry touting Paul Perkins and his potential in that Giants offense. Why? Why? What is the fascination with Paul Perkins? What has he done? Somebody tell me what he's done. Give me a Paul Perkins resume that includes impressive accomplishments. I want to see this resume. This fictional Paul Perkins resume that I know actually doesn't exist because I have access to the Paul Perkins resume in the form of playerprofiler.com. Paul Perkins was not a special running back at UCLA, and he was below replacement at the NFL level in 2016. I don't understand why anyone believes that Paul Perkins is going to be a valuable fantasy asset in 2017. It's a mystery to me. The befuddling phenomenon of the 2017 offseason is the Paul Perkins enthusiasm. Paul Perkins euphoria. It's here. Just turn on your social media machine and there you'll see it. And I'm looking at the full Paul Perkins resume, his complete body of work going back to UCLA, and I'm not seeing anything impressive. Nothing where you would say, wow, he's special. Wow. In this one area, he's exceptional. There's not one area on the football field, there's not one skill that he possesses that makes him a unique NFL talent. None. His final year at UCLA, 1,300 yards, 5.7 yards per carry, 30 receptions across the board. Average. And it's illuminated well on playerprofiler.com with the college dominator, 28%, 57th percentile, also known as average yards per carry, 55th percentile, average college target share, 8%, 52nd percentile, average. I mean, that's the great accomplishment of Paul Perkins. The fact that every metric can be in the 50th percentile, I mean, that's hard to do. What's the probability of that across the board? 40 time, speed score, burst score, bench press. The fact that you can be in this range of the 40th percentile to the 60th percentile. That's Paul Perkins' gift. He has the gift of mediocrity. No one can achieve the heights of mediocrity like Paul Perkins. I've never seen it. I've never seen any running back that stays within this band of mediocrity across every single metric and statistic on his profile. And that's the guy you're excited about? And that's just his college production and his workout metrics. He was the quintessential average prospect, which is why he was drafted in the fifth round. Again, the round where the average players get drafted, the fifth round of the NFL draft. I mean, it's just perfect. I mean, he's perfectly average. I mean, that's what's special about him. Paul Perkins is absolutely a snowflake. The most average snowflake in the NFL. Except 
when he actually stepped on the field last year, in which case he was below average across the board, negative 21.4 production premium. So when we look at every given down and distance in which Paul Perkins was given a target or a handoff, what did he do compared to the other running backs in those same downs and distances in game situations? Well, he was far below average. His production was dwarfed by the average running back in the NFL in 2016. That's what a negative 21.4 production premium tells you. But was he at least a breakaway run threat? No. 2.7 breakaway runs per carry. That's awful. 15% juke rate. Evaded tackles per touch. That was 67th in the league. So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Paul Perkins epitomized the average prospect. Then, when he came to the NFL, was well below average in both elusiveness and explosive plays. And this is a player I'm supposed to be excited about. Why? Just because they cut Rashad Jennings? Just because he happens to be on a shallow depth chart? Really? Really? That's the reason? He's the Devontae Adams of running backs. He just happens to be a guy getting starters snaps, even though he's a replacement-level talent. The problem is, Devontae Adams is valuable because he's receiving snaps next to Aaron Rodgers. The targets he's receiving emanate from Aaron Rodgers' arm. He's part of the Aaron Rodgers offense. That's what props up an otherwise average wide receiver in Devontae Adams. Paul Perkins does not have that luxury. The New York Giants featured a below-average run-blocking offensive line last year. 87.7 run-blocking efficiency metric on playerprofiler.com. That's 24th in the league. Subpar offensive line and a subpar offense in general with an aging Eli Manning, who was one of the least efficient quarterbacks in the NFL. And the Giants do not feature a run-first philosophy. Only 390 run plays last year. That was also 24th in the league. So they're running the number of plays that is equal to their run blocking efficiency, which makes sense. It makes perfect sense. If you're not effective at blocking in the run game, don't call as many run plays. So how does this help Paul Perkins again? It doesn't! This reminds me of Matt Jones last year. Matt Jones was just the guy that happened to be around on a shallow depth chart for a pass-first offense. A running back that was not special in any way, yet was being touted throughout the offseason. Why? We were bewildered. I don't know. We brought Evan Silva onto the show, and Evan Silva explained that certain fantasy analysts like Matt Jones because of his dreadlocks. That when he's running and those dreadlocks are waving all around, he looks like a fierce runner. Matt Jones' enthusiasts were laid low by the arrogance of eyesight. And this happens all the time in football analysis. And you'll often find it at the roots of bad fantasy football analysis. How do these flimsy, substance-free articles get written soaked in confirmation bias? I'll tell you how. It's one impressive run that is seared into the subconscious of the writer. Matt Jones scores on a 90-yard screenplay. The writer happens to be watching football at that moment and experiences a visceral response to that run play, sees those dreadlocks waving in the wind, watches Matt Jones break a tackle, watches him accelerate away from defenders and score a touchdown, and that experience forever taints that analyst's position on Matt Jones. That analyst is going to overdraft Matt Jones because of that singular moment in time. 
the ultimate small sample size, the one carry, the one reception, the one wow factor that overrides all the data we have at our disposal. That's how Matt Jones ADP crept higher and higher and higher in 2016. And you're going to see Paul Perkins ADP creep higher and higher and higher in 2017. And Paul Perkins is going to break a lot of hearts. The bad Paul Perkins takes that you will read in the coming months will haunt even the best fantasy analysts. And I have a solution. Just don't watch the games. You'll have a more unbiased perspective if you just don't watch the games. Now, we should ask Pat Doherty. He's coming on the show today. Pat Doherty, he's an analyst for Roto World. Follow him at RotoPat on Twitter. And I'd love to tell you that I plan to ask Pat Doherty if he watches games, but I didn't get around to it. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program, Patrick Doherty from Roto World. He's the man at Roto Pat. Talk to me. What's up, Matt? Uh, should we make the big reveal that uh, we're friends IRL now Woo! in real life? Because we met. Like, uh, I believe we're the first two people in the history of Twitter to have actually met in real life. So yes. that was a pretty big deal. Yes, it feels uh, good, man. It felt good. Actually, it happened with a bunch of guys at the FSTA conference. Yourself, Rich Rebar, Evan Silva met all of you for the first time. Don't it forget was a JJ real pleasure, A real genuine pleasure. Most of the people in this fantasy football industry are great people. Yeah, I mean, it's a very tight-knit community, very good group of dudes. We're, we're now a new rat pack, so that's good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. It really was. It like really exceeded my expectations, and everyone. Yeah, it's kind of stunning, like how much everyone was their Twitter account. Like yeah. you kind of find out how genuine like, all these people actually are. Like this is, you're getting like their actual. There's no uh, like fake online personas in this group. It's just kind of what you tweet is what you get. So yeah, that was very. Kevin Silva is just making up how enthusiastic he is about football and how much he loves football and how he's a football guy and just lives and breathes football. But that's him every day, every yes. second. He yes. just wants to talk about football and he's excited about football and analyze football. That's what we are. There's not that much of a difference between what we are in real life and what we are on Twitter because that's just us expressing ourselves in 140 characters it's stuff we would have said face-to-face, -face, but we're just not face-to-face, -face, so we're typing it, and it's cool. However, there are a few people that I've noticed are much funnier on Twitter than they are in real life, <laughs> and that's why I was impressed with you. You're just as funny in real life as you are on Twitter, and that's impressive because you have the quick wit to go along with the, the smarts and, and the cleverness. It's, there's also a quickness in the moment and that's very rotopat and the people that know rotopat know what i mean when i say that's very rotopat we have a very <laughs> aggressive agenda today and this is one of those situations where i end up talking a lot on the show dominating conversations and the audience is sick of it and with someone like patrick doherty they want to hear from you because you're one of those guys that everyone follows because you have the knowledge and you have the humor, so I am going to do my best to get out of your way today and give you as much room to operate, starting with this first question, is Kevin Durant a coward? 
it's like we're getting we're getting the off season started right. Thirty whatever Sundays in a row without football. We're getting to the heart of the matter here with the Kevin Durant question. By the way, the intro there, you know, you praising me. Um, that was definitely one of the podcast interludes. Well, like all my podcasts I've done in my career now, that was the interlude I wanted to end the least. You can <laughs> see, keep that going for forty five minutes if you want to. Uh, I peed out. Rotopat is going to, you know, I know Jared Kushner's on it now, but I think Rotopat's going to bring peace to the Mideast just because of his quick wit. He's going to disarm them with humor, both the Palestinians and the Israelis. We're going to solve all this. And yeah. So, Pat, anyways, yeah, what do you think of Durant? Um, coward, right? Uh, complete yeah, coward. Um, I see, yeah. So, it's interesting with the Durant thing. We're like, I feel like the Twitter intelligentsia kind of party line is that like, uh, you know, that like, oh, you can't, you can't hate Durant just because he did what was best for himself and like made this personal choice or whatever, you know, which is true. Like he really, you know, Kevin Durant is a grown man who had uh, never gotten to test free agency before. Uh, absolutely his right. You know, he's got to do right by himself, but yeah, I don't buy into the line whatsoever that like, uh, you can't root against him or whatever, just because, you know, players in the past, like haven't had this, you know, freedom and, I'm already rambling here, but like I completely, I don't mind if you're rooting against Kevin Durant because he went to the Warriors. Because I mean, I think it's dumb. I mean, it sucked all the drama out of an entire NBA season. They are like essentially the Team USA basketball team, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, like, they really are. They have like literally like five Olympians. It's ridiculous. And Kevin Durant seems like a cool dude. I read his interview in Rolling Stone. I mean, he seems like a genuine guy. But I'm rooting against the Warriors, and I disapprove of his decision to uh, turn the Olympic team into a professional 82-game-a-season team. Yeah, I like how you talked about the Twitter in- intelligentsia. When I intellectualize Kevin Durant signing with the Warriors, it makes perfect sense to me. He would want to go to the Warriors because that's where he has the best chance to win, and winning is fun. Who wouldn't want to maximize their fun in their workplace? When I intellectualize it, it makes perfect rational sense. But then something irrational happens when I watch the Warriors. I hate the Warriors. I know. I, I know. want the Warriors to lose. I want Kevin Durant to score zero points, and I have no idea why <laughs> well, I'm it's such weird an because asshole it's... when it comes to the Warriors. Well, because the whole thing went against their entire ethos. Like they kind of like built this team so organically out of like these kind of just random draft picks. I mean, Steph was a top ten draft pick, but he was like number seven and number eight, and he was like this tiny little guy, and he was definitely kind of an underdog story. And like Clay Thompson was just like a random first rounder. Even Draymond Green was kind of a random first rounder. So they became like this organic like juggernaut. And then like they like it's like they take off they took off the mask after the finals last year revealed it had all been you know contrived from the beginning added Kevin Durant and now they're the evil empire and Kevin Durant's a coward so yeah they became a wrestling heel very quickly I mean the the heel turn that the Warriors yeah took literally no one from, just like you know, the Warriors. Golden Boy consensus unanimous love and praise to heel turn, ripping the mask off, bad guys, was stunning how fast that happened. I mean, it's just like, even like, you know, they play like the other supposed good teams in the NBA and they win by like 45 points. I just, I'm robbed, you know, this is my escape here and I'm robbed of any drama. Like, it should never be like the only drama is this team going to lose. Like, like, there's no... 
I mean, I don't know. I've, I've, I've reached the bottom of the well of my unique thoughts on the Warriors. But right, I've very been much pers- 2009 Miami Heat all over again. And it's, I like- it's even different than that because they already, they've already won a title. I mean, they'd already won a title two years ago. They almost won a title you know, last year. And so it's even a different dynamic than that where, I mean, LeBron was the best player in the NBA when the heat thing, but now they have like legitimately two or the three best players in the NBA where Dwayne Wade is probably like only top five or six or whatever. So it's like, it's like the heat on a completely another level. All right. It's even more egregious than the heat super team. So we can all forgive ourselves. It's okay. Pat Doherty and Matt Kelly are telling you it's okay to dislike the Warriors for irrational reasons. I just feel like sometimes the pendulum has swung too far. Like clearly we needed to get rid of like old farty sports columnist takes right. like all these ref- reflexive, yes. you know, just hating of like young athletes, hating of any individual choice in sports, or whatever. But sometimes I think the pendulum has gone a little too far the other way. We're like, Oh, you just got to accept everything. These people do, uh, you know, it's just cause they're just living their life, man. And you're just a dumb, <laughs> ignorant, miserable fan. So yeah, maybe a, we can find a middle throwback ground. Throwback takes. <laughs> yes, throwback takes. I love it. <laughs> we need to pivot to football. I was recalling a dynasty draft that you participated in over a year ago. And I remember that in that draft, I think in the second round, top 20 pick, overall, top 20 pick overall, you drafted Martavis Bryant. <laughs> Fake news. And I remember hammering you on this podcast for that selection because Martavis Bryant had never proven to be an elite performer throughout a full 16-game season, and he was parked behind Antonio Brown as the number two option in that passing game. Those were my reasons, and as well as other red flags going back to his time at Clemson. Now where are we? Martavis Bryant suspended for the year, but... If you follow him on Instagram, and I highly recommend you follow Martavis Bryant on Instagram. I follow very few people on Instagram. I'm not active on Instagram. It's like a couple chefs and my wife and Martavis Bryant. It's a very (laughs) random collection of follows I have on Instagram. But I'm following Martavis Bryant because he's posting pictures of himself working out, trying to get back into the league, and I can't help it. I'm encouraged. Are you? First, this is this. This really is fake news. This never happened. The, that draft didn't even exist, let alone did I participate in it or draft players. I saw it. Uh, first, I was very stunned that you remembered that, and I obviously had to go back and look. I'm like, it couldn't have been top twenty, and it was. It was not top twenty. It was top fifteen. Uh, <laughs> I took him with the first pick of the second round. Took him at number thirteen overall. Well, it was, this is one of those dumb drafts, man. Where you know, I I tend to think wide receiver and dynasty, and there were nine receivers in the first round. So like, I was down to like Martavis Bryant, like Alshon Jeffrey, Des Bryant, Keenan Allen, part of the board. And I'm like, I'm gonna take this gargantuan touchdown score and this high powered offense. It was very dumb. I'm uh, clearly I'm not gonna defend it at this point, but looking at the draft board, I can see how I talked myself into it. But um, you could I mean, never be a press secretary or be in PR because I gave you an out to shift the conversation to <laughs> hope trafficking for Martavis Bryant into 2017. Why your draft pick was justified? I gave you the <laughs> runway to change the conversation and put your draft pick of Martavis Bryant in the best possible light. And what did you do? You went back in time to the part of the conversation (laughs) where I mocked you and you wanted to just sink into that 
and re-justify something that we had already moved on from. That was classic PR blunder by Patrick Doherty. I will say it was. Um, he does seem to be like in the Justin Blackman, Josh Gordon power rankings. I mean, he's clearly number one right now. Uh, he spent he spent the offseason, what wasn't it, coaching high school football or something? And uh, he appears, yeah, he's staying in football shape. Uh, he seems to be further ahead in his rehab than uh, Josh or Justin ever were. True. But, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't feel too hot about having him in Dynasty right now. I guess you could be cautiously optimistic. Let's put that on the scroll. Patrick Doherty from Roto World talking about Martavis Bryant on the Roto Underworld podcast. I don't know. Just quote you. Put it on the scroll. I don't know. That's true, though, because that's it. We don't know, but it's exciting to think about Martavis Bryant. We're allowed to be excited thinking about Martavis Bryant, a guy with an upper percentile catch radius, catching deep passes from Ben Roethlisberger, winning you weeks with over 25 fantasy points. You go back into the game log, you see a lot of those weeks from Martavis Bryant. It's very possible that he comes back. We just haven't seen it lately. What we've seen in the past is Mike Williams flame out. Before him, Charles Rogers flamed out. Then we have Justin Blackman and Josh Gordon. Just because it's uncommon doesn't mean it can't be done. Substance abuse problems can be defeated. Martavis Bryant has it in him to defeat this problem. And from what I'm seeing on Instagram, I like his chances. Le'Veon Bell (laughs) was suspended last year. And as far as we know, he's clean and he's ready for a big contract this year. Do you think the Steelers should re-sign Le'Veon Bell? I do because you know he was historically good last year. Well, it was 157 yards from scrimmage. Uh, he still is literally today, as of this podcast, he's still only 24 years old. He turns oh. 25 in like three days. Shut up! And, I'm looking that up. That can't be true. That can't no, be it's true. true. I disagree Unless with I that added, right off the bat. I'm looking this up on Wikipedia. There's no way Le'Veon Bell is only 24 years old. I yeah, he's only 24. Him. He turns 25 on Saturday. Wow. So wow. You're, was- you're wasting bites. I'm putting that on the scroll right now. Roto Wonderworld Radio, Patrick Doherty, Le'Veon Bell is 24. Patrick Doherty reveals Le'Veon Bell's age. <laughs> <laughs> In case you didn't have Wikipedia or you listen to Matt yeah. Kelly, who doesn't know what he's talking about. Le'Veon Bell is actually still 24. That's a, amazing that he's still 24. Good for him. I had a monopoly on that knowledge. Good for being young. Nice to be but young. I mean, the reality is, the reality is, I mean, at, at most, I mean, even with the injury history, even with the suspension history, I mean, we know how NFL contracts work. I mean, at most, they're going to owe him guaranteed money for like two or three years. So he, he's still so young. Like, if he gets suspended again, they're off the hook for the guaranteed money. So I just think there's very little actual risk there. I know, you know running backs don't usually get, like, $15 million a year or whatever at this point. But, I mean, don't you think he's proven to be worth it? I mean, the best, maybe the best dual threat running back of a generation, maybe David Johnson's better. I don't know. Ben Roethlisberger, you know, getting up in years. They have very few weapons. I mean, they have maybe the best receiver and maybe the best running back. But beyond that extremely questionable weapons that really kind of came up late in the year, I thought. It kind of doomed them, even though they made it to the AFC Championship game. I thought their lack of a third weapon was very glaring. Maybe our boy Martavis will be that. 
we were hoping that Ladarius Green would be that too, but Ladarius Green may never play football again based on these yes. concussion problems that we're hearing about. I'm not a doctor, but that's just what the news reports are suggesting. So the Steelers have had bad luck with their skill position players. Last year, they should have had Martavis Bryant and Ladarius Green on the field together with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. Oh my God! I'm having just an explosion of talent, just oozing talent. I mean, that should be illegal. I'm surprised if they had those players on the field at the same time, Roger Goodell would have to issue an edict that they would have to drop one of those players because the competitive balance of the league would have been disrupted to such an extent. <laughs> it would have been incredible. But now these pieces are all in doubt. You would think that signing Le'Veon Bell would be the right move. I would not do that because you'll find one or two teams in the NFL willing to still overpay for running back. And as long as there's one or two teams still willing to overpay for running back, I believe you have to let someone like Le'Veon Bell go because it's a much more replaceable position. And I believe that you need to spend your money on the positions where the talent is more scarce edge rusher, cornerback. So I believe if you're just doing salary cap management based on position scarcity, that spending an inordinate amount of money on a running back is not the optimal move without looking at the talent profile of the running back. Sure, you can build a case for why you should be paying David Johnson or Ezekiel Elliott or Le'Veon Bell, but I think generally speaking, if you're going to manage your cap properly and optimize the talent configuration of your roster based on the amount of dollars you have to spend, spending them on running back isn't the right move, particularly with this draft class coming in where you could get a Leonard Fournette, you can get a Dalvin Cook, you can get a Joe Mixon on a rookie contract. I mean, I agree with almost all that, but I think some teams have taken the zero RB IRL that's zero RB in real life for you no, who don't speak it. internet. For you guys it. that don't speak internet. Um, you know, taking it a little too far. I mean, like we see like like the Colts desperately needed a run game last year. They didn't have it. I mean, the Jaguars tried this mix and match and they couldn't do it. I mean, the Ravens, the Ravens have Kenneth Dixon. They tried, but I feel like some teams have taken the running backs or all interchangeable and like replaceable a little too far and i feel like he's just in a uniquely good situation to overpay a running back when he's still so young has put you know basically the three years in a row whenever he's been on the field this has been completely incredible and ben roethlisberger might be more injury prone than Le'Veon bell so i feel like they need that firewall there while they're still like very much in their window of opportunity or whatever and i don't know and there's no no that's right they're in their window right now so the argument is do not diminish the talent profile of your offense when you have a couple years where you need to win now. Go ahead and overpay someone. It's one thing to overpay a running back at age 28. It's another thing to give him a contract at age 24. That is a lot more palatable and, and makes a lot more sense when you, talk, when you look at the production curve of the running back where the age apex is. Paying Le'Veon Bell a big contract now makes a lot more sense than two years from now. They don't even have to do it. I mean, the franchise tag would be perfectly acceptable in this situation, too, where they can, like, kick the can down the road one more year. So that's probably actually their best bet is franchising him. You know, maybe he'll threaten to hold out or whatever, hold, actually hold out a regular season games. But if he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage, and the franchise tag is probably the most likely outcome, actually. Talking about fantasy football... I had a bunch of sleeper hits last year. I'm not sure you remember, but I called Cameron Meredith. That was a big deal. 
and really impressive. I did not remember that. That's pretty. That's like pretty amazing, actually. <laughs> it was. It's on the internet. It's it a video. It's great. Who was your biggest sleeper last year that you actually hit in a big way? I'm not sure how much this one counts because, like, I, I, I think other people were kind of on it, but. Even in like February, March, like MFL tens, I was a Spencer Ware early adopter. Mm. I just had, I had very little faith in Jamal Charles staying healthy. I thought he had finally kind of crossed the the Rubicon or whatever of his career, and I thought that even if Jamal was healthy, I thought like a committee made just way too much sense for them. Like after the way Spencer Ware ran down the stretch in 2015, so. I kind of I gobbled him up in MFL tens. Uh, he was still pretty cheap. His name recognition definitely went up as the summer went on, but he was still pretty cheap in drafts. So I owned Spencer Ware pretty much across the board, and that was probably by far my biggest hit. What's nice about Spencer Ware? He wasn't that efficient on a per touch basis. No, negative one point seven production premium, which is our situation agnostic efficiency metric. That was fortieth in the league, so slightly negative there. Breakaway run rate, 2.8%. That was 49th in the league. So he wasn't breaking runs of 15 yards or more very often. What was impressive was the 78% catch rate for a 230-pound player. So if there's one yes. thing that I can take away from what Spencer Ware did in 2016 is that we had a big back who was powerful between the tackles and a pretty slick receiver. So he was effective in space and effective between the tackles, that's good enough. You put him in an offense that emphasizes the run, that's good enough. However, as I've talked about in the last few shows, we've got more than 10 high-quality running backs coming to the NFL via the NFL draft in a couple months. Those running backs are going to land on teams, and they're going to eviscerate the fantasy value of a number of running backs, and some of them will be big surprises and I would not be surprised if the Kansas City Chiefs, knowing what they have in Sharkhandrick West, just a guy, knowing what they have in Spencer Ware, good but not great, good enough Mini but guy, not sure. super dynamic, thinking that they need to go out and draft someone like Christian McCaffrey, for example, or Jeremy McNichols from Boise State, someone that can be much more active in the passing game because they really didn't have a satellite back that was effective last year. And so if you could get someone that's playing a Theo Riddick role to complement Spencer Ware and not ask him to be an every down back, I think that would be the ideal situation for the Kansas City Chiefs. So who was your biggest miss last year? The player that you were sure was going to be good and then he wasn't good. Um, probably John Brown. And a lot of people liked to have me eat crow on the swings. A lot of people thought he wouldn't be good, but, uh, cause like, you know, he was hyper efficient in 2015. It looked kind of unrepeatable on paper, but just like when I like watched him play, I did, I did the mistake of watching film. You should never watch film. Um, he reminded, he's like, he reminded me of like, a, like almost like an unholy mix of like, uh, Odell Beckham and Antonio Brown. Obviously like, uh, the poor man's version, but like I thought he could do like insane damage deep. And I thought he was like pretty kind of underrated underneath, like pretty decent route runner, like pretty fluid guy. And he was just such a big play threat. And it's such an aggressive offense that I was kind of, I was like all in on John Brown. And, it's understandable, uh, man. Listen, the offense tanked. What happened? Carson Palmer, Carson Palmer died. Was washed. 
he couldn't throw the ball downfield anymore. His deep ball completion percentage tanked. And if you're John Brown and you do the most of your damage in the deeper quadrants of the football field, if you have a quarterback that's not good at throwing the ball deep, your effectiveness is diminished greatly, not to mention the fact that he had chronic hamstring issues all year. Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't understand what sickle cell trait means. Why are you tying it to a sickle cell trait? I don't understand why that's related to the hamstring. All I know is he was constantly questionable and missed many games with a hamstring injury. And if he couldn't get his hamstring right, his game falls apart. His game is based on speed and quickness. And if you don't have a healthy hamstring, you're not going to be good. So it's very understandable. I like John Brown as a bounce back candidate, similar to Josh Doxson. I'm not an expert on the Achilles tendon. I'm not an expert on the hamstring. Assuming these guys figure it out and get healthy, I like both of those players as bounce back candidates in 2017. So speaking of thinking about 2017, what's your hottest (laughs) way too early take for 2017? The big problem is most of my hashtag T-A-E-K energy right now is devoted to our president. So maybe I don't have my football takes aren't up to par yet. Okay, uh, here's a question for you. I was gonna Who have would one. be I, Donald Trump's likely first round pick if he were in a fantasy football league? I, um, you know, the obvious answer is Tom Brady, and the second obvious answer is any white slot receiver. But <laughs> after after thinking about it a little more in depth, you know, Donald Trump he speaks through strength. He understands strength, and that's why I settled on um, that that Baylor meme guy. Remember that guy, Sean Oakman. Like the dude who like looked huge and jacked, yes. And like uh, the Baylor meme guy would be his number one pick because like, and th- this would be after you spent like two or three hours explaining to him like, Mr. President, you don't draft uh, individual defensive players in fantasy football, and this guy's not even in the NFL. But uh, he wouldn't be having it because he would just he's so sold on strength right, that he would right. have to have Sean Oakman. So Sean Oakman would be Donald Trump's number one overall so- pick in fantasy drafts. <laughs> So Donald Trump would either draft a quarterback, which would be a huge mistake, or yes. Danny Amendola, who yes. wouldn't be in the league any longer, or a defensive player, which also was never in would the be league. a huge mistake, who's not even in the league. I mean, clearly he's not going to make a good pick. I think we can agree on that for sure. <laughs> okay, speaking of bad picks, which player will have the most hype-fueled, negative-returned ADP this year? Which player will not have any chance to live up to his ADP draft slot based on his production. Total vaporware player. Who's the vapor player of 2017? I mean, is Tyreek Hill too obvious? No, um, that's the right answer! Yeah, ding, 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 ding! Game show correct yeah. sound! Hit us with a game show correct sound. Tell us I mean, he's, why Tyreek Hill is a fraud. I don't know if he's a fraud, but he's definitely going to be overdrafted. He's going to be Tyler Lockett two point or three point maybe in fantasy drafts, like a really extreme version of Tyler Lockett this year. And I mean, there's a lot. I feel like kind of an under the radar one might be Ty Montgomery. Um, I mean, of course, it's going to depend on what the Packers do in the backfield. But like, even if they like, went into the season with Ty Montgomery, like as their supposed lead back, like I don't really think he can do that. And I think he makes like way too much sense as like a committee guy, and it's really probably just, just going to be like very maybe like a actually good theoretic. Theoretic's actually good, 
But, what are you um, talking about? Pat? I this know, is a I'm terrible sorry. take. Can you just go back in time and not say Ty Montgomery and just no, let, so the, Hill's let the, the obvious good one, take Ty- sit? You had a great take with Tyreek Hill. <laughs> Why didn't you just let the Tyreek Hill take sit on its own? Tyreek Hill, he's the next Corderell Patterson. He's mini Corderell Patterson. Tyreek Hill, you nailed it. So let's say you're drafting in the first round, and there's all good selections in the first round. You can't really go wrong in the first round, but when we were talking at FSTA, Rich mentioned that he thinks it's very important to get a pick in the top six in redraft this year. Do you agree? I would say the top five. Because I don't really know. I don't mean, is the sixth Julio Jones then? Yes. And I don't know how I feel about that because he's he's had such a, you know, he's got this history of foot issues and he aggravated again at the end of the season. He hasn't missed a game really for like, well, he missed like one or two games the past two years, but he hasn't really missed that much time since he broke his foot and was it 2013, 2014? I can't remember. But he's got a persuasive enough injury history where I just always, I mean, it's kind of, it causes you to miss out on Julio Jones. But, like, he's a guy I feel very uneasy with, like, in the top five or six picks. Consider it a big five, not a big six, was my answer. I think that the top three running backs are clear. David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott. And the thinking is that there's also a top three wide receivers, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr., and Julio Jones. And I agree with you. It's not that clear cut because what about Mike Evans? For me, it's not a top six. It's a top seven because I put Mike Evans in that same league, in that same tier, Beckham, Brown, and Julio Jones. So I just want to pick in the top seven. Outside the top seven, I get a little bit worried because then I might have to start thinking about who my fourth running back is, who my number four ranked running back is going to be in 2017. I don't want to think about it. I haven't even considered who my fourth running back is going to be because it's a very difficult exercise. Who would you put way too early? I understand we're still in February, but who's your number four redraft running back? I like really that we both passed on top six and we both insisted on doing this one number off the top six. We don't don't want to agree (laughs) with Lord Reeves. We just want to find a way to figure out a way to not agree with Rich. We did. And my number four running back, it's going to be an answer. I feel like all summer I'm going to be settled on different people and hate the answer every single time. But I think right now I'm going to say Jay Ajayi because oh Adam Gase is the man. I mean, having three 200-yard rushing performances in a season – is incredible. I think Jay Ajayi is incredible. Uh, I think the offensive line will, I mean, almost has to be healthier, almost has to be. I don't know if it has to be better, but I'm expecting a more continuity along their offensive line this season. They had kind of inordinate amount of big offensive line injuries last year. So I just think the line will be better. I think he's still young enough. He did amazing things last year, and Adam Gase is the man. And I don't trust John Fox to like use Jordan Howard. Right? I don't even really know if I think Jordan Howard, how good he is. So I'm going to say Jay Ajayi. Your takes are very inconsistent. You have great <laughs> takes, perfect takes, Tyreek Hill. Great take. You want a top five pick. I understand that. Great takes. But then in between the good takes are these really bad takes. Like Jay Ajayi as your number take. four running back. The reason why this is a bad take, twofold. Because whenever you start a position on a player – by talking about someone that's not related to him, the coach, someone who's not even playing on the field, someone who's on the sideline, someone who's not impacting the field of play, the 
if the coach is the first person that comes to mind when you go to tout a player, you're in trouble. Well, it wasn't the first. And then the second the point was... you made, you were quoting individual game counting stats. So if you go to coach and then individual game counting stats, your take is in trouble. When you put it that way, but I mean, the real answer is I just think he's awesome and and I love, you know, I was all aboard. He was like one of those guy, guy like a perfect post-type sleeper. Like I was all aboard the Jay Ajayi train coming out of Boise State. And then it stalled at the interchange or whatever in year one. But like he was someone I kind of believed in from the start. And so like I felt very vindicated last year. And I just, if you want me to throw out all the stuff that Jay Ajayi can't control, I just think he's awesome. So. Had a great zero RB roster construction last year. All these wide receivers early, and then running backs late in the form of Spencer Ware and Jay Ajayi. That was a league winning roster construction tactic. Good job, Patrick Doherty. This guy knows what he's doing. Roto World hired him because he's good. <laughs> Thank you. But his Matt. takes can be inconsistent. One takes good, one takes bad. No, man, takes are all about – that's because takes got to come from the gut, man. Numbers are pointless. It's all down in the gut like a bacteria. Your takes got to be bacteria. If they're too consistent, then they're no longer takes. So I say you're doing it wrong. Okay, your takes on takes was also awful. So now you really need to make a comeback here. You, you've had some consecutive bad takes. One was a take on a take. I don't know if that's – I don't even know what that is. Does that count twice? That's very that's very 2017. We're the meta age, man. It's all meta now. Nothing. We're post everything. We're not just post facts. We're post everything. So it makes perfect sense that I'm having takes on takes on a February fantasy football podcast. You are currently being inconsistent. That we can agree. Speaking of inconsistencies, did you see that Barstool Sports was selling free Oakley t-shirts Five minutes after Oakley was thrown to the ground by Madison Square Guard security. I did not see that, but I am not surprised by that. Um, free, you know, free anything. That's like the easiest buck in the world now, those kind of t-shirts. So I did not see that, but I am not surprised. If it's low-hanging fruit, if it's lowest common denominator content, it's Barstool Sports. At you know, Patrick Claybon on ESPN wrote the following. If you want to buy a free Oakley t-shirt talking about the quote-unquote resistance, just know where you're buying it from. Then he included a quote from David Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports. Portnoy says as follows, There is a sentiment among frat guys, lacrosse players, and middle-class affluent white kids. He said this out loud. <laughs> Just stringing those words together, you can already say, No, David! No, stop! Do whatever you're about to say! Don't come in here! Like, you're waving your arms like, No, there's zombies in this town, David! Do not continue speaking! Someone muzzle him now! Stop him! No, he keeps going! He's going through all these stop signs and all these police barricades! Frat guys, lacrosse players, and middle-class affluent white kids... 
that are kind of getting persecuted lately, according to David Portnoy. You tell a joke, it gets blown out of proportion. You got to walk on eggshells. There's kind of a feeling. And Trump, he tells a joke and he doesn't back down. He says things that would normally be frowned upon at school. A kid would get expelled. Not that it's right, not that it's wrong, but Trump sort of is defending a lot of the things we've been attacked for for the last five years or so. Oh, David. <laughs> the, the, there are individual Barstool people that I like. I'm a Chaps fan. I'm Chaps, you know, it can be a divisive figure, but I'm a Chaps fan. And you I'm a pro- like post-Barstool Chaps? Um, yeah, I like post-Barstool Chaps, huh. just to be perfectly frank. And I'm a pro football talk commenter fan. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I'm, I'm getting amnesia now. I don't do media commentary. Well, you know, I understand why you don't want to go down this road. It totally makes sense. That's why I'm here. I'm here to criticize members of the sports media like David Portnoy, and I'm here to criticize anyone that bought a free Oakley t-shirt from an organization that is run by the person who said those words, who runs a frat-focused sports website featuring the smoke show of the day. So say you know it seems a little outdated in 2017. Uh, so it's all I'll yes, say. yes. And Charles Oakley gets arrested, and there's Barstool Sports ready to exploit Charles Oakley in real time. How much is Charles Oakley making on royalties from those T-shirts? Those T-shirts from the quintessential sports bottom feeder, Barstool Sports. No comment. Congratulations, Barstool Sports. You're making America dumber one t-shirt at a time. The lowest rung on the sports media content ladder, Barstool Sports. Great job, everybody. Great t-shirts. Woo! You did it. I feel enlightened. Need more Barstool Sports. We don't need sports websites like numberfire.com and playerprofiler.com and rotoworld.com websites that make us smarter no no we don't need that we need websites that make us dumber that's what we need i'm i'm just i'm withholding all comments um i'm first off you're rolling so i'll just let you go but yeah i don't have anything to add chap started a new twitter handle and he posted on twitter that if that new twitter handle for a new show of his gets to fifty thousand followers that he will let Big Cat pepper spray him in the office. <laughs> I mean, I kind of think that's funny. I'm sorry. I don't know. We should just get off the topic of Barstool Sports, though. I like Chaps. Uh, I hope he hoodwinks someone else about Olivier Vernon again soon. That's all I got to say about that. Just answer me this one question. We'll get off it in one question. But has there ever been a more Barstool tweet in the history of social media than retweet this 50,000 times and I'll let someone pepper spray me. I'm sure there's had to have been, and I'm sure it involved Boston sports. So like if Mark Wahlberg makes a sequel to Deepwater Horizon, I will run naked down whatever a famous Boston street is. I think that was a tweet they had at one point. So that one was more barstool to me than the one you just mentioned. 
Are you ready for this? We're going to pivot off this topic. I'm facing the batter's box. You have the bat in your hand. Are you ready for this? I'm going to go down this list. Just pitch, pitch, pitch like a home run derby. Just lobbing it right down the middle, right into the sweet spot, the heart of the plate, 85 miles per hour. Give me the best case landing spot for the following free agents. How does that sound? Sounds good. Alshon uh... Jeffrey. I'm going to say the answer to every player is either the Panthers or Patriots, by the way. That's how I'm going to play this game. You just ruined uh, the game. You're supposed to I go did. with a unique reason why each of these players belongs on a particular team. You just nullified <laughs> the whole game. Now if you say a team that's not one of those two teams, we'll know you're being disingenuous. I've got a few that aren't those two teams. So they're, they're mostly those two teams. Okay, you can't comment on Barstool Sports because you're a member of the mainstream sports media. I get it. You don't want to get in trouble. Fine. I'll do all the heavy lifting and criticize the lowest common denominator content farm garbage. Fine. I'll do that. I'll put it on my back and I'll do the work. Now I'm asking you to speculate, do the thing that... Fantasy gamers, fantasy analysts, the thing that we were designed to do, the thing that we were born to do, which is to speculate on which player would be a best fit on which team for a fantasy football perspective, and you won't even give me a straight answer. You won't even provide interesting content using this particular device. Just go ahead and give me a player, one wide receiver, who you think should land on a team, not the Panthers or the Patriots, and explain to me how that could possibly be an optimal talent configuration for both that player and that team. Go, Patrick. Give me something. Uh, Terrell Pryor on the 49ers uh, working with Kyle Shanahan. Uh, targets for the taking. I feel like he's got to have a coach. Kind of like Hugh Jackson that will like kind of work to scheme him the ball. And uh, yeah, I'll say I think Terrell Pryor, the 49ers, I like that. Um, you said no Panthers or Patriots, but I'm going to immediately go back to the Panthers where uh, the Panthers should sign Deshaun Jackson and get an actually good Ted Ginn. I know they're obsessed with like six foot four receivers that can't run or catch, but they should sign Deshaun Jackson and get an actually good. Um, Ted Ginn. And then uh, Kenny Stills, it won't happen, but Kenny Stills should sign with the Patriots. Like, imagine the Patriots, like, having, like, you know, they're obsessed with the dink and dunk. They're obsessed with the underneath. And imagine, like, having one of those dudes that could actually, like, do damage down the field, too. So it won't happen, but I would, uh, I'd be so all in on Kenny Stills and the Patriots. Like, I would have legit 100% shares probably if that happened. That would be incredible. I would love to have a field stretcher on the Patriots. They haven't had a field stretcher since Randy Moss. Kenny Stills would be a perfect fit. And Tom Brady, top five in the NFL last year in deep ball completion percentage, 47.2%. He can still throw the ball deep accurately, and Kenny Stills would not only provide Tom Brady with a downfield playmaker, he would also stretch the field and provide more room underneath for Edelman and Malcolm Mitchell, and hopefully he's healthy, Rob Gronkowski! There is one team, I think, that needs a particular type of receiver in addition to the teams you mentioned, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers desperately need a slot flanker upgrade opposite Mike Evans, and I think a player like Kendall Wright or Robert Woods would be a perfect fit on Tampa Bay. 
Yeah, they totally. They just need yeah, they need someone who they can funnel targets to, and those are both those kind of dudes play that kind of position. And I mean, they need. I mean, they, first off, they need literally just a second receiver. Last year, they were the first team in NFL history to have only one receiver, and on the entire roster, and it didn't work very well. So, yeah, I completely agree that they need a second receiver. <laughs> I couldn't wait to hear. I was like, wow, he's going to really drop a trivia nugget on us here. You should have seen me <laughs> lean forward into the microphone. I couldn't wait for the trivia nugget. And then you dropped the joke on me like a hammer. Love it. No, it was, that was completely true, by the way. So, yeah. yeah, you can look it up. It's a real fact. So... <laughs> Your favorite team is the Rams still. I've been out of the Rams business for a while, just to be honest, because, I mean, obviously they sucked. Obviously they committed a five-year slow-motion betrayal of the city. And, you know, the, the job I have, I didn't even get to watch them every week. So it just became very easy to tune them out. So I, I had them pretty tuned out even before the move. And so, yeah, they're... By definitely not my team. My team is unfortunately even worse than the Rams, and it is the Missouri Tigers. So um, they're not a professional team. So I'm going to go back to the Rams. How happy is Kenny Britt heading into 2017? He gets to leave a Jeff Fisher-led offense for the first time in his career and gets to escape from the worst offense in the NFL. I mean, it's a great time to be Kenny Britt, right? It is, as long as you think it's a great time to be playing for Joe Flacco, like he's going to be doing in 2017. You said that every player should go to the Patriots or the Panthers. Now I'm learning that you wanted Kenny Britt all along to go to the Ravens? I didn't want him to go there, but I, I think that's what's going to happen. He's going to, and so my upset special is the Colts, but uh, Kenny Britt's like the classic guy. Anytime a guy gets like supposedly freed, they always end up, you know, like on the Titans or whatever, like Rashard Matthews last year, which actually kind of worked out for him. But, uh, you know, like, or maybe it'll just be back on the Rams. Remember when Brian Quick got freed? Or, yes. like, remember when Andre Holmes got freed? They always end up just, like, going back to the original team because, like, no one wants them for some reason. You're saying Kenny and... Britt might go back to the Rams? No, Kenny! No! No! I think it's, I think no! it's a possibility. I do. And, or, I mean, I, I feel like the Ravens are definitely going to, like, try to sign a veteran receiver. And Kenny Britt would be, he, Kenny Britt seems like a very Raven signing to me. Uh, not quite sure why. It just feels very Ravensy, And he'd probably be fine there. I don't know. But uh, definitely not ideal. I, I just love the lack of conviction. And it's correct. Your lack of conviction is genuine. Because it's fucking February, Pat. Yes. It's February. Yes. <laughs> no one should have conviction about anything. And I love that you're honest. You're emotionally honest about your sports opinions. You're thinking, yeah, it'd be nice to see him on the Ravens, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that is, it's an honest betrayal of how I feel about the situation. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm going with. If he leaves, that makes Pharaoh yes, Cooper the de facto number one wide receiver for the Rams. And the fantasy football community needs to allow me to be excited about Pharaoh Cooper. Will you allow me to be excited about Pharaoh Cooper in 2017? 
I actually will because he's very similar to Jamison Crowder, and now they have the dude who made Jamison Crowder a thing. Well, maybe it was Jay Gruden that actually did it, but they have Jamison Crowder's offensive coordinator running the show. And when I think of like a uh, Farrell Cooper comp, Jamison Crowder like was the he definitely the first guy who came to mind. So that might seem like a take, but I actually agree that it might not. He probably won't be the, their number one receiver, but I could who else see would it like, be? I can see uh, they'll maybe they'll maybe they'll sign uh, Kendall Wright. I don't know. They'll do something. St- the, the Rams are definitely going to sign Pierre Garcon, by the way, because we know how obsessed like new coaches are with their ex players. He's he's going to be a perfect replacement for Kenny Britt. You know, like Jeff Fisher came to the Rams like immediately had to sign uh, Kenny Britt, and now Sean McVay is going to come to the Rams. Is going to have to immediately sign Pierre Garcon. So I think the Rams will sign Pierre Garcon. But I also think Farrell Cooper could be their Jamison Crowder 2.0. Through week 13, Jamison Crowder posted only two weeks below 10 fantasy points for Jamison Crowder through week 13. And then after week 13, oh my God, just apocalyptic fantasy production after week 13 for Jamison Crowder. He goes from just double digits, double digits, double digits, 25 fantasy points in week eight, double digits, double digits, double digits. And then he ends with five, five, one, and three (laughs) fantasy points. (laughs) No one had a more disappointing December than Jamison Crowder. I like Jamison Crowder. I like that volume slot receiver prototype, and I love the comp because I love... Pharaoh Cooper in that volume slot receiver role for the Rams. Pharaoh Cooper was dominant at South Carolina. 43.1%, 85th percentile college dominator. He has Willie Sneed level athleticism, but thankfully he also has Willie Sneed's strength to the catch point and Willie Sneed's instincts on the football field. This might it might be a February fantasy football podcast where we're getting logical and sensible Pharaoh uh, Cooper comps. So you kind of blew my mind there. If we're gonna be if we're being honest, and I feel like we have been being honest with each other. So you just blew my mind. No one, I repeat, no one, no one in fantasy football is talking Jamison Crowder, Pharaoh Cooper, Willie Sneed triumvirate. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, especially in February, but for the rest of the year, no one will have that particular conversation. We know what we're doing here, Pat. We're good at this. I would say that's an accurate assessment. You heard it here I first. thought you said he was gonna go to either the Patriots or <laughs> no. what was the other team? I was kinda kind of kidding. It was, I said it was most the Patriots, the Patriots. What was the other team answer. you said? No comment. I think what happened with Chaps is I think he started to tweet what he thinks people think he should tweet as a member of Barstool Sports. So I feel like he's overthinking now and he's trying to be something that he thinks he should be instead of just being himself. He's trying to live up to a caricature of himself within a Barstool context. And I think that has warped his social media persona. When I see his tweets, I don't know. He does tweet a lot, I guess. But Can I be honest with you right now? 
Yes. I don't follow him. I made that up what I just said. I haven't followed him in a year, and I made up everything I just said. Nothing has been more made up in my life. <laughs> Those t-shirts from the quintessential sports bottom feeder, Barstool Sports. No comment. The lowest rung on the sports media content ladder, Barstool Sports. Great job, everybody. Great t-shirts. Woo! You did it. I feel enlightened. No comment. I don't have anything to add. Not only are you going to die early, but if you like only half die early, then that is void the remaining guarantees in your contract. So, oh. Martavis Bryan and Ladarius Green on the field together with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. Oh my God! I'm having just an explosion of talent, just oozing talent. I mean, that should be illegal. I'm surprised if they had those players on the field at the same time, Roger Goodell would have to issue an edict that they would have to drop one of those players because the competitive balance of the league would have been disrupted to such an extent. <laughs> it would have been incredible. No comment. I don't have anything to add. So Tan Gilbert claims that the that the Cavaliers lost money last. I know. That's an old baseball <laughs> trick. Creative nah. accounting. It's what all these yeah, companies yeah, do yeah. to report zero, pay zero taxes. No comment. I don't have anything to add. I had a bunch of sleeper hits last year. I'm not sure you remember, but I called Cameron Meredith. That was a big deal. I'm great. So The Mansion's I, the goat. I'm cutting that out. That was too that was too much. That was that was too over the top. <laughs> Faux arrogance. People aren't ready for that. <laughs> no comment. I don't have anything to add. You just blew my mind. Two comments came in the last hour. Just idiot. And then what a waste <laughs> of a video. What a waste of telecommunication bandwidth. That's on brand. That's on brand for you. Someone... Yeah, I love this stuff. Tyreek Hill is a fraud. I don't know if he's a fraud, but he's definitely going to be overdrafted. Yeah, you can look it up. It's a real fact. So, <laughs> Roto World hired him because he's good. <laughs> Thank you, But his Matt. takes can be inconsistent. One takes good, one takes bad. No comment. I don't have anything to add. You just blew my mind. Go, Patrick. Give me something. You're saying Kenny and... Britt might go back to the Rams? No, Kenny! No! No! I think, it, no! I think it's a possibility. I do. And he'd probably be fine there. I don't know. Obviously, they committed a five-year slow-motion betrayal of the city. You can look it up. It's a real fact. So... We need websites that make us dumber. That's what we need. No comment. I don't have anything to add. You just blew my mind. Go, Patrick. Give me something. I, I, I that was a, yeah. That's one I didn't see coming. Was it Pharaoh Cooper? And he'd probably be fine there. I don't know. Last year they were the first team in NFL history to have only one receiver, and on the entire roster, and it didn't work very well. So, yeah, I completely agree that they need a second receiver. (laughs) 
So I went into detail of how 450 passing yards isn't that big of a deal when you have that kind of game flow. The least impressive 450 yards you're going to see in a football game. Yeah, ever. He will let Big Cat pepper spray him in the office. <laughs> I mean, I kind of think that's funny. I'm sorry. I don't know. Like, if Mark Wahlberg makes a sequel to Deepwater Horizon, I will run naked down whatever a famous Boston street is. I think that was a tweet they had at one point. So that one was more barstool to me than the one you just mentioned. Yeah, you can look it up. It's a real fact. So The agenda is to get him past Montana and get him into the Pantheon, perhaps better than Michael Jordan. We need all these trophies, Matt. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Fuck James White. We have an agenda, right? Fuck Bernie Sanders. We need to get Hillary Clinton in the White House, right? We have an agenda here. It was like the DNC was running the MVP race at the Super Bowl. No comment. I don't have anything to add. You just blew my mind. Go, Patrick. Give me something. You heard it here I first. thought you said he was going to go to either the Patriots or <laughs> no, what was the other I was team? Kind of, I was kind of kidding. It was, I it said was most the Patriots. Guys, Patriots. What was the other team it. you said? But he did promise that he would give James White the truck that they give to the MVP winner. Here's the problem. They haven't given out a truck for the last two years. He's in the Super Bowl winning MVPs so frequently, he's just getting them mixed up. I just thought these trucks were just commonplace. Every Super Bowl, they gave one out. Sorry, James. And he'd probably be fine there. I don't know.